0: Hello, and welcome to a special edition of our show, History on the Box, with Katie and Allie. <laughs> Typically, it just be Allie and I hanging out with a couple of cocktails, talking about famous women in history, but sometimes we like to talk to people who are writing about women in history, some that I think should be a little more famous. <laughs> we
1: have a very special guest here with us today, Nancy Davis. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: We're so excited to have you. Nancy is an author from Georgia who writes about the impact of technology on culture, currency, and politics in the Western world. But she's here with us today to talk about her book, For the Boys, The War Story of a Combat Nurse in Patton's Third Army. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Uh, yes, I've been a writer, I would say, since I was about four, ever since I knew about words. I knew I wanted to write the words. Whatever the words were. Uh, so yes, because I just had that genetic propensity for that. I was very encouraged by my family to do that. And I was the youngest of six children and most of them had gone in. Um, I was, for example, uh, let's see, my sister, my oldest sister was a freshman in college when I was born. So (laughs) my parents were having children over two decades. And so I was, it was quite a different experience for me growing up. Uh, because from the time, basically I was 10, most of the siblings were out of the house. So I, I kind of, I had the wonderful influence of older siblings, but I also had a lot of, um, you know, only child kinds of benefits. So that's kind of a, just a little glimpse of the way that I, uh, was reared. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, as the youngest of four, I can relate a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so before we get into your book, we like to talk about the cocktail we made for your book. So this is obviously called For the Boys. And this is based on kind of a 1940s cocktail recipe that I found. And oh, it's,
1: interesting. Uh,
0: two ounces of rye whiskey, an ounce of pineapple juice, a half ounce of lemon juice, and a half ounce of grenadine. And you garnish it with a maraschino cherry. And it's a beautiful red color. Oh, that's a <laughs>
2: wonderful looking drink. Yes. Yes. Oh, very nice mm, delicious <laughs> well, cheers to your book yes thank you you know what they would get do you know what they used to call those in the 40s 50s no. They no highballs oh I mean, yeah highball you know you probably heard that term yeah. mm-hmm. so when I was growing up um in the basically the 70s uh they my my parents would say you want a highball you know on Friday night or whatever
1: <laughs> I love that just bring it back <laughs> yep <laughs> So, before we dive into your book, we like to try to set the scene for our listeners. We're obviously talking about World War II. Can you tell us a little bit about, like, what life is like for women who are involved in the war, especially combat nurses?
2: Yeah, and I, I think that the reason that um, I, I would like to believe that I got published because I'm a great writer. But, um, I think that there are a lot of really great writers who never get to experience being published. That's just the way it is. If you go to New York and you, uh, go to a karaoke bar, every waiter and waitress there is so freaking talented. It's ridiculous, but very few end up on Broadway, right? So you have to have a niche. And I think my niche was the fact that hardly anyone has looked at women combat nurses in that war. There have been very, there's very few uh, documents about that, archives about that. So we've had a lot about the WACs and they were basically the secretaries. You know, we've had a lot about Rosie the Riveter, which meant that we have a lot about um, information about women going into the factories. That's why in the 1950s, I don't know if anyone uh, has told you this or if either of you is a student of history, but in the 50s, there was this, uh you know, it, it wasn't so much a conspiracy, but it was very much a marketing attempt by the United States government. We've got to get these guys who were at war jobs again. You've heard this.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: we've got to push this idea of family and women staying at home because they don't seem to want to stay at home. They kind of like those jobs. <laughs> <laughs> so we got to get them back in the home, having babies and Voila, baby boomer generation. Uh, and uh get the men back to having the jobs and the um and so but very, very little has ever been written uh about combat nursing. And people don't realize, I mean, I've talked to World War II buffs who know every battle. They know if General Patton sneezed at on Sunday morning at seven o'clock, you know, on what day. Everything but they don't, they don't realize that women were right there with them as caregivers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it's, I feel like it's all wrapped up in that kind of invisible labor of women. It's if it's caretaking for someone, we're just not really seeing it. You know, we have a bunch of books about female spies, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah you're right. I, I didn't even think about the fact that there would be nurses on the front line. I just didn't really think about it. And the nurse you're talking about this story is Lieutenant Mary Elizabeth bolster She's our main character here. And I believe she's also your mother. I mean, did you always know about her time in the war or did you discover her story later? How did you figure this out?
2: Um, you know how all of uh, you with the family with four kids, I don't know, did you have a lot of family growing up? Oh, yeah. uh, there's, there's lore, you know, yeah. we always had to get this family lore. And my mother was one of the a unique character in our family who um, had a lot of lore surrounding her. And when her mother, for example, would visit, uh, she would uh, say, Oh, Mary, you know, she's dumb like a fox. And there were just a million sayings about my mother that were highly curious to me, you know, and of course I looked at her own, beha- at her behaviors and she was so funny and, uh, really just a, an interesting person because in some ways she was real, uh, frivolous, but in other ways she was so serious, very serious about her patients, uh, her children's welfare. Um, so she knew how to have fun when it was appropriate and then she knew how to be very serious and get the job done. Um, and there would be references to war and I heard a lot about the letters and there were jokes about, oh, you know, that time that she, um, you know, pretended that she was a French girl dancing and, you know, there were all these little things that she used to do gaffs. but, and I knew there were letters, but I never really thought about it, you know, cause you're, you're too busy growing up yourself, you know, thinking you don't want to think about your mom growing up, right? But when she turned 90 years old, because I was the writer in the family, uh, all of us had gone to um, her birthday celebration. She wasn't living with me at the time. She was living with one of my older sisters. And she um, gave me, and I'll show it to you. So, of course, she didn't type them. Mm -hmm. They were all handwritten, except for one or two in which somebody had found a typewriter as they were going yeah. <laughs> and so she, she was able one time to, to go into the communication zone and type a couple of letters back mm-hmm. home. But I mean, you know, all the rest of them were all handwritten. But my grandmother, uh, Inga, who was very, 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 um, uh, organized had, uh, she hired typists after the war and had them all typed and then bound. Oh. Wow. That's what a, cool. what a great idea I would have yeah. never
0: thought to do that that's
2: so cool, <laughs> yeah, so she gave me those letters, and then this was the curious thing, and I don't have it right in front of me i because I am so afraid that our golden uh retriever, who's ten months old, is going to grab it and oh, yeah. shred it uh but uh her war diary I, mm-hmm. everybody was given a service diary mm-hmm. as they entered the war, I mean entered service mm-hmm. in the army, I guess in probably all uh. Forces, but I I know with army they did, and so she um, she also that day gave me her service type. But this was curious um, that as she handed it to me, you know how you can always tell, like you know if your mother's fibbing or something, uh, Mm -hmm. and I could always tell, and and so, and I'm sure she could always tell when I was, you know. But (laughs) I was flipping through and I noticed this huge section had been ripped out of the back of the diary. So I said, mom, what is this? And um, she goes, what? (laughs) You know, so innocent. And I said, that dumb like a fox thing was coming out. And I said, see how this has been threaded and that obviously there's a big chunk that's been taken out. Who knows? You know, I, <laughs> I was so young. You know, young girls, what they do, they do the craziest things, you know, and I thought, like, you know, she's hiding something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, and I thought hmm, this is mysterious. So not only was I wanting to know what it was like to be strafed by German airplanes virtually. All the time, once they got into Normandy, to um, you know, all these different things that she would explain. I also wanted to know, I knew it had something to do with her love life
1: mm-hmm.
2: why she'd rip those out. So I finally got to the um, <laughs> to the bottom of the mystery, but it took about two years, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I bet. So General Patton's third army was a part of some pretty significant moments in the war. So can you tell us a little bit about some of these moments that therefore your mom was a part of?
2: Yeah. Um, I think one in particular that, um, that became, they didn't know it was called battle. of I mean, they didn't call it battle of the bulge while it was happening. Of course you see. um, but it was deemed by that historians later, uh, by historians later. So she was holed up in something called the Heinrich Hamler Barracks. And this was, um, I don't want to guess, but I, I'm trying to remember, maybe 12 kilometers from uh, Bastogne, which was the, the town that, um, that, you know, the Germans surrounded the Allied forces in. And uh Patton was determined to break through and and release our allied soldiers um and it was you know the last big hurrah before we just could push on into Germany and uh take them and then the Russians came from the other way uh so um she had and another one of my sisters has the stars they would give them a star for every major battle uh, or campaign that they, that they went through. And I think she had like five of them or something. So, but of course battle of the bulge being the most significant because I think it was the second bloodiest battle that uh, American soldiers were in. Mm -hmm. So um, she, they received a lot of those guys um, once they were able to capture Bastone back, they received a lot of those patients. And one of them happened to be um, a patient who was probably her favorite because she had taken care of him the summer before when he had pneumonia and he was what was called a special. So they would assign a certain nurse to just take care of that patient if they were really, you know, touch and go. And she had, um, Private Redmond had been her special uh, during those weeks. And then they couldn't find his tank unit after he got well. So instead, they, when they couldn't do that, they would just carry those guys around with them yeah. <laughs> as they went there, until they could find whatever unit they belonged to. So for a couple of months, he ended up becoming Mary's ward boy and he would do all that you know go boil the water go get the lice out of the guy's heads you know all these little things that they that you know she'd assign him to do so um she got very close to him and of course she considered him a little boy even though she was only about three and a half years older than he was uh he he, you know so but anyway she thought he was a little kid but he didn't think that of her you know Mm -hmm. so uh anyway so so by the time he'd left, they found his tank unit. You know, they'd all, all gotten close to this this young man. And mm-hmm. then here he comes back from horrific injuries. And so I tell that in the story about what happened with him.
0: Yeah. Well, and I but, love those, like, little personal details because it makes you remember that this was a real person going through these huge... Battles and things. Can you tell us a little bit more about what a combat nurse does? Because I don't really, you know, have a great concept of it. How close are they, are they to the battlefield? What are their responsibilities and how stressful was this job?
2: Uh, Yeah, so that's that's a great question. I had to really study a lot of this because I didn't really understand it either. Mm -hmm. And of course, she uses a lot of terminology in the letters that her father understood because he had served in the first war. Mm -hmm. But they, I mean, I had not been in the military, so I had to learn all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So if she said comms, I didn't know that meant communication zone, that sort of thing. What would happen is as uh, on the field of battle, um, when the guys would get injured or if they got sick and some of them got really sick. Some of them, a lot of them died from pneumonia. A lot of them died from malaria there. It wasn't just, a lot of them died from dysentery. Mm-hmm. A lot of them were um, crippled for life because of a uh, of, uh, trench foot, mm-hmm. uh, those kinds of uh, just horrible uh, things that you don't even think about. In addition to uh, a lot of sexually transmitted diseases, as well as injuries, uh, gunshots, Uh, tank burns, you name it. So the first point of uh, any care would be from the EMs, the emergency medics, Mm -hmm. and they were with the guys on the field. Now, those EMs' job was to grab the patient, try to get them out of, of harm's way, pull them back, try to get them onto a Jeep, onto an ambulance, whatever they had available. Uh, you know, sometimes they would strap seven or eight kids on, uh, I say kids cause most of them were, you know, uh, boys, young men on these Jeeps or just any way they could just to get them away. And, uh, from there where they would have, sometimes they would have a field hospital, which was just triaging like the, you know, the ones that basically ones didn't make it, uh, they might be there or, um you know if if they felt like they could get them onto the evacuation hospital that was just right behind those front lines mm-hmm. that's where they would try to get them to and that's where she was okay so um so there was a field hospital sometimes that would just do just like you know the immediate stuff and then if they could make it onto the evac that's where they would send them mm-hmm. and so um sometimes her job would be to triage once those patients started coming in. Now see they would always uh have information. That's what the ComZ was for was information about um you know we know we're going into this battle mm-hmm. and we can pretty much calculate that by this time tomorrow night we're going to start getting the patients in. You see. Mm-hmm. So they would kind of know when the the influx was coming. And then from there um, the chief nurse could assign the duties and they might, and the chief nurse might say, okay, tonight, Lieutenant Bolster is triaging. So she's just going to decide who, who needs what, you know, which injuries are the worst, who has to go into surgery right this second, who who can go into the medical ward versus the surgical ward, et cetera. So, and then from there um, they would be triaged and, and put, accordingly and then taken care of. And of course, if the surgical ward, then the surgeons were immediately right there waiting. Um, so, and then they would assist with all kinds of stuff. I mean, now nurses back then though, did everything. I mean, from bathing the patient, every, every part of care, there wasn't anything like, you know, somebody, an aide. Uh, there were some ward boys, but they were so busy trying to just you know, help put a tourniquet on or, or just lift the patient or whatever. I mean, the, I mean, down and dirty, really tough care. The, the nurses were responsible for that. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's kind of the nitty gritty of her job, but you alluded to this a little bit, that part of this is a love story and it took you a while to get to the bottom of it. What are some of, without obviously any fun spoilers for the book, <laughs> What what are some of the details that you found out about your mom's relationships?
2: She was, um, it, it was really interesting, and I'm sure that part of the reason that she was reticent to talk about it, of course, was because that my father was one of the the two men who fell in love with her, deeply in love with her, mm-hmm. uh, and so she didn't want to share too much with me because of that, mm-hmm. but. Um, I got her to open up more about it, uh, by the end of the couple of years. And I think part of it too was really, uh, she had already been losing her short-term memory mm-hmm. and the reason, and she knew that by the time she got 90, she started losing it at about 88, mm-hmm. um, um. So at ninety, she told me, "I want you to talk with me about it. This stuff because I'm. I know I'm losing my short term memory, and I want you to interview me before I lose my long term." But within two years of that, I mean, dementia is. You know, she sometimes it will allow inhibitions to be less. So she she had less inhibitions as she was going further into the dementia. Mm. The other thing that I thought was really strange was that, um, and, and I felt really guilty about this, was the more I talked with her about the war, the more she would dream about it. Mm. And sometimes she'd wake up and and dream and and tell me what she had just dreamed.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That's why when you're writing a memoir, People will ask you, "Well, is that true or is it not true?" Well, the trauma is true. Yeah. It doesn't, you know. Are the facts exactly right? We all sh- do all these things with every moment of our lives, in which we are, you know, storing them in ways that are 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 jaded, or all of our history be- before the, you know, our genetics. So many factors come into play as to how we color our own stories, right? So, you know, you add something so traumatic like war to that. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, one time she woke up and said that uh she asked me if I believed in God. And I said, Well, mom, now you know I have trouble with, with that. I I don't, you know, I, I'm I'm just a, a person seeking spirituality and I, I but I don't I think if you don't struggle with it then you don't grow any grow any in it and she said oh don't tell me that hogwash just you know i want to tell you the truth and i said okay she said one night i um was in this horrible hole uh and and they were bombing so much and i prayed incessantly the entire night and when it finally stopped I was the only one still alive. Now, there's no evidence of that in the book whatsoever, in in the, in the letters or in the uh, service diary. I don't know if she just dreamed that or if it really happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- th- so those are the kinds of things that she just, you know, y- The the real truth is that, what she really wanted me to do was, first, she wanted me to try to honor all those women mm-hmm. who, didn't get, who never got any kind of recognition for what they did. Mm-hmm. And she felt a responsibility to that. And, and she also was trying very hard to let people see that it's just horrifying that we keep going to war. Yeah. And how they how she said in those letters surely this will be the last war. Who would ever go through this again? This is so awful. This is so ridiculous. Surely we will learn from this. Yeah. And so anyway, that's what she wanted out of it and that's that's what I promised her I'd try to give. Yeah. But yeah, but you know, that's the other thing is they were also just girls just like the boys. They they were worried about their hair. They, she was constantly sending lists home. Please send me some more rain shampoo. Please send me the, the you know, uh, Merle Norman lipstick number. Whatever. I mean, it was hilarious. You know, all these brands. You know, some brands we don't even have anymore mm-hmm. that are pretty funny. That she's just listing all of these things that. Uh, so she, you know, they still wanted to be women and, and girls and dress up and all yeah. that stuff.
0: And obviously, this is a very personal story for you and for your mother. It's her story. And how did the rest of your family feel about you writing this book? Were they excited to get to know her a little better? And how did you take care of yourself while writing this book? Because it sounds like at times it probably was pretty emotional.
2: Uh, It was terrible. I couldn't be free from uh, to really write the truth until my mother died. I have to tell you. Mm-hmm. When I once I knew she was off that off this planet, <laughs> I was much better off to write the story.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I tried, um, I started on the project 13 years ago. It was so emotionally difficult once I started interviewing her because I had so much guilt. I had guilt about making her go through it again. And I had guilt that I'd never had to, I felt like such a spoiled rotten brat. Like I had never, I I should never have complained about one little thing in my entire life to her, you know, or my dad, you know, you just, (laughs) you know, because you can't help but compare Mm -hmm. how your life is so much better. (laughs) And so, you know, it kind of really, it then. When COVID happened, oh my God, I was just like these people are so, you know, because I was just in the middle. My mother was um, dying in the nursing home from COVID and I felt like, and I couldn't go see her. And um, the only good thing about it was, the fortunate thing about it was she didn't, by then she didn't know, I, you know, I think she thought I was the oldest child, Madge. I think she she thought I was bad. So she didn't even really know who I was like for a couple of years. And that was a relief to me, you know, but at the same time, it was, it really bothered me how people would complain about things that were so trivial, you know, we can't get toilet paper, (laughs) you know, (laughs) well, try living through a war and see what you (laughs) get. You know, I just had, I, she had helped me have such a, a, a healthier perspective Mm. I think Mm. um so anyway
1: yeah well I think we're so excited to have people read this book and learn more about your mom and more about combat nurses just in general and about the war to get that perspective of what are things that are trivial and what are things that like we're so privileged we never had to deal with
2: exactly right exactly yeah
1: so uh I think the book came out in September,
0: right?
2: Mm-hmm. September seventh. It, it came out officially, I think on the thirtieth it was released. Okay. And then um some people have written me and said they already received their book. Others have said that um there's a back order, but I think it's just I was hoping that meant that you don't, know, oh, it's just sold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> sold. <laughs> no, no, that's not. I asked my agent and he said, No, I don't I don't think so yet, Nancy Double. No. <laughs>
1: So yeah. you can get this at at the book right now if you want to type in for the boys. You can get it at Amazon, your local library, your local bookstore. If they don't That's have right. it, you can ask for it and it'll they'll get it for you.
2: <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Like book Wizards. Yeah.
1: They always know.
0: <laughs> well, thank you again for coming on. What a great story and uh we're just so grateful that you were able to to write it. This is great. <laughs>
2: Thank you. I really appreciate your time today. And cheers to you. I'm going to get back and look at the recording and get that recipe. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Of course.